think we're all blessed and highly favored with the opportunity to show up in the world and be whoever we choose to be and create the impact that we choose to be able to impact in the world. We can create that. And I think that, you know, individuals that do have this higher power as a part of their life that lives in their heart and soul, they can show up greater in every facade or in every avenue that they decide to take. You have the opportunity to show up not only with just yourself and your own being, but you have the opportunity to show up with a higher power, and that higher power is superhuman. Welcome to the Superhuman Life. I'm your host, Frank Rich, and this is the only podcast in the world dedicated to helping men break free from the shackles of addiction through the power of faith and fitness. It is our goal with every episode to help you take back control and rebuild your body, mind, and spirit. And we do so by bringing you real and raw conversations with people just like you, aiming to find their place in this world while dealing with the everyday struggles and battles that we all face. Now, it is my belief that we were all created for a specific purpose. And if we can harness that belief or faith, then take control of our mind and body or fitness, then we can ultimately create the life that we've always dreamed about, our own superhuman life. I want to let you know how grateful and blessed I am to have you here with me today. Let's get on to today's show. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another amazing and very exciting and impactful episode of The Superhuman Life. As always, I am your host, Frank Rich. And guys, I'm so incredibly grateful to have you here with me today. What a jam-packed, powerful conversation we have in store for you today. I have an incredible guest on the show, and I'm going to get into introducing him here in real quick. But for those of you guys that are new here to The Superhuman Life, let me just thank you for joining us here today. Let me thank you for tuning in, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on Apple or whatever podcast platform you are. We're so incredibly grateful to have you part of this community. It's my hope and goal with this show to help men take back control of their lives and step into the life that God created for them to live. And we do that through the conversation that we have here with all of our guests. But before I get into introducing our guest today, I want to share something with you guys, you know, um, I, I, I get a lot of questions, Frank. How do you do it? How do you run, you know, multiple businesses? How do you show up for the podcast? How do you build Rebuild Recovery? How are you still running uh, things over at, at Frank Rich Fitness and all the other projects that I'm currently working on? Well, A, it's, I, I'm, I'm, I'm highly engaged with my sleep and my schedule and, and, and whatnot, but there are times where I have to look at taking some supplementation. I don't talk a lot about my supplement regimen here anymore, uh, but one thing that has really helped me here in these last few months in in developing some of the projects that we're working on is by me supplementing here with Mental Trigger by Redcon One. Mental Trigger is a brain performance or cognitive performance supplement. A couple of the ingredients inside of it are alpha GPC, uh, which releases the neurotransmitter acetylcholine inside of you, which facilitates learning and memory. And then when you stack that with teacrine, which is an incredible supplement to stimulate your central nervous system. Guys, what this does is, is this is, like I said, it's a brain cognitive performance enhancing supplement. It's really going to get you dialed in. They take it first thing in the morning. I like to take it before I have anything created that I'm trying to work on. Uh, you can take it before the gym. You could take it, you know, really at any time. It does have some caffeine in it. Um, so if you're sensitive to caffeine, uh, maybe, you know, start with, with half of the recommended dosage. Uh, but I do, it is definitely something I don't take every day. Uh, I take it a handful of times a week, like I said, when I really got to focus in on dialing uh, some projects. Now, another really cool thing, and, and, and they're getting more and more research about this. We talk a lot about dopamine here. Uh, so for those of you guys that are looking to maybe increase some of your dopamine, uh, alpha, alpha GPC will actually help in increasing some of your dopamine. 
So that is Mental Trigger by Redcon1. I'm going to link down their website in the show notes or in the comments uh, or in the description box here on YouTube. And if you use code TFRANK, T20FRANKR, I'm sorry, T20FRANKR, it'll give you a 20% discount off of your purchase of Mental Trigger or anything else right there on the Redcon, uh, Redcon1 site. So make sure to check that out, guys. But today's guest, what a jam-packed conversation we have. Now, my guest is a very close and dear friend of mine, William Grazione. William is the CEO of The Educated Dieter. He also holds a BS in exercise science and is a pro-natural bodybuilder. Now, for the last 10 years, he's been working with thousands of clients, teaching them the foundational skills of becoming an educated dieter. He and his, his team over there, they're really focused on the education side of things. And I'll tell you, when I, when I was uh, scheduling and, and getting ready for this conversation, I really thought Will and I were going to go deeper into some of the nutrition stuff. Um, but about, about 10, 15 minutes into the conversation, we took a turn uh, that I wasn't really prepared for. And, 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 and you'll hear Will say in the conversation that the topics that we discuss are more important than maybe some of the nutrition stuff. Uh, we dive into some of his background. We dive into some of the adversity that he had to deal with with growing up, uh, you know, in, in, in somewhat of an abusive home. Uh, he shares his, you know, he shares his faith and, and how at a very young age, he knew that there was more to this world than what we just see here uh, in, in the material side of things. Uh, we talk about prayer. We talk about spirituality. We talk about scripture. Um, and, and really what this message is really all about, because Will and I both launched companies, or he pivoted in his company and I launched a new, a new business right at the beginning of the pandemic last year. So how were we when, when so many people were struggling financially, when so many people were losing their jobs, when so many people were losing opportunities? How were we both really able to see the opportunity in the obstacle? And guys, I think that's what today's conversation is really about, how facing adversity, about facing challenges, about turning those obstacles into opportunities can really be your calling. It can help you step into the life that you were created to live. So guys, I really hope you enjoy this conversation. I'm incredibly honored to share this one with you. Will is an amazing brother of mine, and, and I'm just so excited to share him with you guys today. So I hope you get as much out of this as I did. If you haven't done so yet, if you want to help us continue to grow this message, we do always appreciate those ratings, those reviews, the subscriptions right there on, on YouTube, whatever you guys are doing. That's highly appreciated. But without further ado, guys, let's get into today's conversation with William Grazion, turning obstacles into opportunities. William, my brother, welcome to the Superhuman Life. Frank, my man, thanks so much for ha- having me on, dude. Absolutely, man. This is uh, this has been one of those those conversations that's been a long time uh, in the waiting, um, and I'm I'm just so excited to to really dive into you and 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 the work that you're doing. You know what I truly love about you, and we're going to kind of unpack some of the things that you're doing uh, with with Educated Dieter is 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 with the world of of online coaching. I mean, it's it's something that has just Really, I mean, in in the last year with COVID, it's 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 taken it's gone to an even another level. But but in these last few years, you've kind of seen this growth in the space, and I think you and I have a similar uh, kind of belief about about the whole coaching coaching space. You know, it's funny. One of the first episodes we did, actually episode four, uh, was with a mutual friend of ours, uh, Brian Brian Klepacki. Um, We talked okay. about some of the dangers of you know just just coaches and, and trainers in general. Um, how it's 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 kind of been this thing, you know. You've you've seen it. I mean, you've been in the game for a super long time, but it's like you know, you go through a physical transformation yourself, or maybe you step on stage for the first time, and it's like now you now you become a coach. Now you quote unquote become an expert. Um, and he and I talked about some of some of the dangers 
of working with those type of people. And I know everything you do is is based around uh, the educational side of things. So I'm really excited to you know kind of dive into how you got to this point, you know, in in your career, what led you to have such a passion for coaching, have such a passion for education, and then really unpack some of the things uh, from what you guys are doing with Educated Diary, and hopefully give our listeners here you know, some tools that they can really walk away with and begin implementing in, in their lives. Um, so why don't we start here, you know, with, with the first thing is, is let's just get a little bit about kind of your background in, in, in your journey. You know, I know growing up, you were an athlete. I know you played college ball um, out there, a couple of different, couple different schools out, out West, but you know, where did fitness uh, in health and, and, and the desire to, to work with and coach people, where did that come from in, in your life? Yeah, absolutely, man. So uh, number one, though, I do want to say just thank you so much for having me on. Obviously, we see each other all the time, and we've kind of talked about this occurring. So it's really awesome to see you on the other side of the camera and have this conversation to be able to provide some yeah, value to your audience. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I, I had a talk with, with another one of my good friends. It's like we've had so many conversations that probably should have been recorded and, and would have had value for others. So <laughs> now we actually sit down and, and, and make it formal, time, too. <laughs> I say the same thing all the time with my assistant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, how, how I got involved, man, um, health and fitness was something that I found early on in life. So every, every single person in my family was overweight. And I knew that. I knew that they weren't healthy. I knew that there, there could be something that could happen that could help improve the quality of their life. Um, and so interestingly enough, uh, my uncle actually got me involved in lifting weights. He bought me my first weight set when I was six. Okay. Wow. And people would say, dude, you're, you're like seven years old and you lift. And I'm like, yeah. So I was always the, I was always the young kid that would be like flexing his muscles, <laughs> but I had no idea what I was doing at the time. I just knew that I enjoyed doing it because I had a very uh, traumatic childhood, very traumatic upbringing with my dad and my mom and stuff like that. And so I always needed something to help me exert energy that mm. I was keeping bottled up inside. Right. And uh, weightlifting for me was that thing. And honestly, I didn't know I was doing anything different than any other kid in the neighborhood until I started playing youth football when I was about 12 years old. And I show up the first day of youth football and I was more muscular than everybody else. And I was like, oh, I guess this is what working out does for you. Like people like looked at you and they're like, dude, your arms are big. And I'm like, I don't know. I just, this is just what, you know, I didn't know it wasn't things that other young kids did. But the cool thing was, Frank, was that through having that development over those five to six years before I actually started to actually play youth sports, I developed muscle mass that was later in my life respected. Mm. And as a 12 year old kid, all we want is for, you know, people to see that we're, we're working, we're worth something, we have value. And we're good at things, right? So my strength kind of carried over into playing football. Um, I excelled in football through youth, through high school, through college, um, and just realized that the foundation of my passion was health and fitness. Mm. Um, even as I was going through college playing, playing football, I realized at one point that I actually enjoyed working out more than I liked playing football. <laughs> Because every single year, you know, playing football, you basically build yourself up to break yourself down. And it was just this repeated cycle, off-season, in-season, off-season, in-season. And I always felt that I actually wasn't capable of reaching my true potential in terms of my health, my muscular development, 
my strength, things like that. Um, and so I ended up uh, majoring in uh, exercise science and nutrition at um, Bacon College in Muskogee, Oklahoma. And uh, when I graduated in 2009, moved back home, and I just immediately started my work as a personal trainer. Um, and so I guess maybe that's maybe where we'll stop there and maybe then go into maybe some of the natural bodybuilding stuff. But that's kind of how I got involved was just because I started lifting weights at a very young age, and I immediately had a lot of confidence because I was stronger than a lot of my peers. And that carried me off into college to play college football. Um, and then, you know, ended up majoring in uh, exercise science. Got it. Yeah, no, I definitely I definitely want to pick up there with the natural bodybuilding stuff. I mean, I was I was reading as I was preparing for for today, um, 45 plus pro cards like under your belt as as a coach. Um, is that all? In yeah, the, is yeah. that all in the natural space or? Um, and yeah, that's actually let's 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 go there. So, I mean, you 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 made a choice. I mean, I would say at a very, very young age that you were going to stay the natural route. Um, you know, I've talked openly about, about kind of, you know, my bodybuilding you can call it quote unquote career, you know, the time that I spent yeah. as a bodybuilder. Um, you know, I didn't, I, I, I didn't choose, I didn't choose the natural route and, and mm. I don't regret any of it. You know, um, I get a lot of young men that kind of reach out to me now and, um, you know, I advise, you know, build a, build a foundation and, and I'm not here to tell anybody what to do. So yeah, speak to kind of, you know, and then I want to circle back to to some of your upbringing, but if we can speak to kind of you know why you know why did you feel the need to to stay in a natural you know kind of kind of federation um, with you know with really the the bodybuilding world being like truthfully there's not a lot of guys that that become super successful in the natural world. Um, so how did you you know how were you you know in, in in dealing with making that decision? Was it something you were so adamant that you know you're going to be natural? And, and yeah, just kind of talk through your thought process. Uh, with that there. Absolutely, man. So I, I will say number one, that I think I was definitely uh, genetically gifted, you know, uh, like I said, my whole family was overweight. Uh, but my mom was more of like a heavy set woman, but she was very strong. And my dad was a very lean, like Italian guy. Mm. Right. So I kind of got the best of both worlds. You know, my mom, if you could kind of it, picture it would be like more of like a pacific islander type of woman okay and my father he was lean and italian so it's like i kind of came together once i started little lifting weights i started to grow mm. and in all fairness in in high school my football coach thought i was on steroids he was like he's like he's like whatever you're doing like you shouldn't be doing that da, 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 da. and wow. i was like dude i just started eating more protein and i'm starting to grow and you know because i went from i had to always like suffer to play little league football, right? Because you have to make weight in those divisions, mm. right? You have to be like 150 pounds, 155 pounds, 160 pounds, whatever it is. And I always had to suffer to be able to play just because I was just more muscular than the other kids. I was stronger than the other kids. And um, with that being said, you know, I was always uh, without any enhancement. I was just always stronger than most kids. You know, I got into high school in 10th grade, 11th grade, and I never touched any, any, you know, exogenous drugs or anything, but I would say I was always like top three in terms of strength at the, at the high school. Right. So all these other kids are using steroids and I'm just like, I don't, I, I'm already, my arms are bigger than yours. Why do I have to take steroids? Cause my arms are already bigger than God. the guy that's taking steroids. You know what I mean? And so 
it was more so something that I just never really felt like I needed it. Mm. Um, and then it was also the fact that I didn't come from having a lot of financial resources. You know, I come from like very humble beginnings. Mm. So, you know, the fact that like I saw these kids that had a lot of extra money utilizing these, these things and getting them from whatever black market or gym that, that they were attending. But I just never felt like I personally needed it. You know, I remember uh, sophomore year, maybe junior year, I, you know, I was benching like 300 pounds. I was squatting about 450 to 500 pounds. A sophomore, and junior in dead, high school or yeah, this college? Yeah, yeah high school. Wow. Um, and deadlifting for 450s, somewhere around there, you know, power cleaning close to 300 pounds, somewhere around there. So I'm just like, why, why would I need to do that when I'm already stronger and bigger than the kids that are? Um, and so the natural bodybuilding route for me, it was just the path that I knew that I could be successful in. Mm. Because in, in college, when I started to get more serious about bodybuilding, because I stopped playing football because I blew my knee out for the third time and it was a wrap. And I'm like, I got to fulfill this competitive nature with something, you know? Um, and I started to research like bodybuilding. And then I typed in natural bodybuilding one day because I realized that I was looking at, you know, Jay Cutler, Ronnie <laughs> Coleman and all these guys. And they're like 270. And at the time I was about 200 and maybe 205 pounds, maybe 210 pounds. But I'm looking at these guys. I'm like, there's no way that they got that way without using some type of steroid or some type of drug. And so when I typed in natural bodybuilding for the first time, guys like Dave Gooden popped up, Philip Ricardo Jr., Dr. Joe Klemzewski, Lane Norton. Um, these names popped up and I looked at these guys and I was like, if I really train and I really get my diet in check, why could I not look like that in five years? Because I already had the foundation, right? So I think a lot of young guys, when they start lifting and stuff like that, they're, they're so, they want the immediate gratification. Okay. I was totally okay with delayed gratification hmm. because I realized that if I'm going to be healthy, I don't only want to be healthy for, you know, I don't only want to be healthy for the right now and gain 20 pounds of muscle in three months. I'm like, I, I'm okay with gaining slow amounts of muscle throughout the duration of my life and never putting any exogenous hormones in my physiology that's essentially going to alter who I am. And so when I found natural bodybuilding, I realized that some of the, and this was probably the biggest thing, Frank, was that when I found natural bodybuilding and I realized that some of the best natural bodybuilders in the world were only about 175 to 185 pounds, I said, I can totally do that <laughs> because, you know, I was like, I think I need to lose maybe 20 pounds to be stage mm -hmm. lean. At the time, I had no idea I, I would eventually need to lose like 50 um, <laughs> But basically what I did is I bulked up to like 230 pounds in college. Uh, and then my first natural bodybuilding show, I ended up weighing in at like 172. Wow. So I lost like 60 something, I think like 60 pounds. Yeah. Um, and I used the methods that I basically learned through my own education. Yes, I have a degree, but they don't teach you a lot about nutrition in academia or at least directly applied nutrition in academia. So a lot of the people that I learned from early on was people like Dr. Joe Klemzewski, who's like the OG of macronutrient coaching, uh, and then Lane Norton. At the time, they were the only ones that were putting out really good quality information that was teaching natural bodybuilders how to be better natural bodybuilders. Um, and so I found this information. Like I didn't even have a laptop. I didn't have nothing. I had to go to the public library, 
with some change in my pocket and print out these articles from the internet. And I start highlighting all this stuff about proteins, fats, carbohydrates, how to formulate a diet plan and all this. Yeah. So I prep myself with that information and education that I got from the public library. Uh, prep myself for my first natural bodybuilding show. It took me about 12 to 14 weeks um, and I won the overall. And from that point in time, I said, if I can achieve this look without using anything, without using any steroids, drugs, whatever, why, will, why would I ever need to take them? And there was never any interest for me to be like a 250 pound you know, monster per se. Mm-hmm. Once I got down and I was as lean as I was at 175. And again, I, this is where I thank my parents for genetics is that I felt like I had a, a body that people looked at me and they're like, he's has to be enhanced. And so I never felt like I needed to use them to go into the MPC or the IFBB and stuff like that. It was more so just, I found a niche in the natural bodybuilding world. Um, and I tried to cross over a couple of times. I, I, I tried to go into the MPC as a natural and see how I would do. Um, and I won a couple uh, novice titles. And then when I went to the open in the MPC, um, I, w- I would get like second place, third place, fourth place. And I realized that those guys that I was competing against, most of them were enhanced. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the time where I basically navigated away from ever wanting to compete in the MPC again, and there's no knock on the MPC. It's just, you know, page their own uh, was when I was at a bodybuilding show and it was a bit a, a larger show here in Florida. And I saw somebody walk into the, the bathroom stall with a fanny pack on. And when he came out of the, the dressing, uh, he came out of the, the bathroom stall with his fanny pack. I noticed that he had these like pin looking marks on his body. So like his chest and his delts. And from what I know, he just got done injecting like some synthol or something into these yeah. areas to make his muscles look rounder. And once I saw that, I said, I'm going back to the natural bodybuilding world. I don't really don't have any, uh, I really don't have any passion about that side. Uh, but again, no knock on anybody that chooses to use performance enhancing drugs. It just wasn't my path. Yeah, no, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not here to, you know, to knock anybody as well. I just, I wish some of this stuff was more, you know, and it's hard to put these kind of things like out into the public eye, but you know, you, you see these, you know, you see these monsters and, and you have all these young kids coming up and it's like, they dream and they aspire. And it's like, they're, they're only being shared really half the story. You know, yeah. what, what you yeah. talked about there on, on, on the synth, yeah. synthol. I want to well, ask keep you in something mind here. too, man. Like that's what's it's like, that's what's attractive and that's what's marketable to the person mm. that wants to see it, right? Yep. So like, they don't want to see people that are 175 pounds, right? They want to see the freaks. They, they want to see the 300 pound guys stepping on stage, you know? Um, and I think even if you look back to maybe the golden era of bodybuilding, which was a very, very mm. articulate, very aesthetic era, um, that to me, even enhanced, that to me is what bodybuilding could have been or should continue to be um just because of the fact that the guys yeah were they using enhancers yes but was the look less of a freak show than it is now and was it safer uh i i Mm. think it was yeah i mean look at you know look at guys like like arnold i mean what he's he's in his mid to late 70s and Mm -hmm. i mean he's still you know still living he's still out there you know active on you know whatever your thoughts are on, on what Arnold is involved in now is, is besides the point, but yeah, you know, yeah. he, he was truly the one that, I mean, leveraged bodybuilding to, to get him to, to the next level. I want to ask you a question about, about self-awareness because it's something that's just been 
like literally jumping out at me as you kind of shared from all the way growing up, kind of, you know, realizing from a very, very young age at the age of six, you're like, my family's not healthy. And I know there could be something different. And then as you got into yeah. school, you're like, I saw the kids that, you know, maybe came from more and how they were not as grateful and they were seeking kind of, kind of instant gratification. Where did, you know, and, and it's obviously carried into, to your bodybuilding career as well. Well, where did this self-awareness come for you in your life? Did you have somebody from a young age? I mean, I know you talked about kind of some trauma, you know, between, you know, your family home. So did you have somebody outside of the house that was speaking into you, that was showing you, you know, what self-awareness was, or, or was this just kind of a natural instinct? No. So it's amazing question. And I think reflecting back on it, I just always respected my mother so much for what she went through with my dad and growing up and watching that, that I never wanted to do anything. In all honesty, I never wanted to do anything that I felt like would negatively upset her or, you know, be harder for her within her life because she already had a hard, hard road, you know. And then I also, even from a young age, I knew that nobody in my family had ever gone to college. And so I had this kind of this internal pressure on myself to say, you're good at this thing. You better make it, you know? And so I never really wanted to do things that would alter that or mess that up. You know, even back to high school, um, you know, my dad growing up, he was an alcoholic. And so I experimented with, with drinking in high school and stuff like that. And he experimented a little bit with smoking and stuff like that. But what I noticed was that once I saw the negative effects and I wasn't as, I just wasn't as alert and I wasn't as aware and I wasn't as good, I, I, I had to stop because I didn't want anything to self, kind of self-sabotage my ability to make my mom proud of me, right? And so by me being the first person to go to college in my family, I got an athletic scholarship and all of that, the self-awareness was essentially just that I want my mom to be proud of me. You know, I want to change the picture of what a man is in my family forever. And I just knew that at a young age, man, like I've had this conversation with a lot of people before. And, um, you know, the, the question oftentimes comes up. It's like, how did you know at two, three years old, like what good and bad was? And this is because I saw it mm. visually. I, I watched bad. I watched it happen so many times and I knew that's, that's not right. Like that should not be that way. And oftentimes with young men, you notice that they have a choice to make. It's either they're going to follow after their father and do as their father did, or they're going to decide I have this other path I could take and I'm going to forever change the projection of what a man is in my family. And it starts with me. It starts right now and it starts with me. I can do that even as a teenager, as a young man. Whatever it is, you have the decision to make. That's all, that's all it is to, in my eyes. It was just a decision that I have to be better than my father was for us. And that's what I'm doing now for my kids and my family. You know, God, that's, that's, that, that, that is powerful. Um, you, you openly you know, have, 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 have shared your faith. I mean, I'm looking, looking at you right now. You have a faith, o, faith over fear sweat, sweatshirt on. Was that something that was, that was with you? growing up i mean what you just said there with with seeing batter or 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 seeing evil for me that what makes that's what makes my faith so so strong because i lived 35 years of the other side of things i've been in places i've done things i've seen people i've witnessed things that that sh that you cannot you, you cannot see and witness it and not know that there's a there's a force of evil 
driving a lot of that. So, you know, one of my favorite, one of my favorite scriptures is, is Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And how I, how I interpret that is it's not so much the fear of God, but it's the understanding that there is, if there is a God, then there's going to be the opposing force. And I've witnessed and seen that other side. So knowing that that's, there's got to be like, I 100% know for a fact that there is that other side. And that's what pulls me closer and keeps, it's one of the foundational pieces for my faith. So this yeah. wasn't somewhere I thought we were going to go, but, um, you know, always kind of let the conversation guide us. Has, has your faith been there with you your entire life or, uh, where, you know, where did that come from? Yes. That's a phenomenal question. And keep like, Frank, I'm, I'm just an open book. So wherever the conversation goes, <laughs> I just pray that it's helpful to the listeners, right? I don't care if we end up talking about science and, and all the stuff that we originally planned about, because in my opinion, this is more important. Amen. <clears throat> I had never gone to church as a child. Um, I had never prayed anything. But because I had so many of these traumatic experiences growing up as a young boy and watching my mom struggle so much and watching my mom overcome and, you know, trying to find myself as a young man without a father, because, you know, Let's face it, the world needs more good men to lead by example for their mm. sons so that we can essentially, you know, help the betterment of the world by being good men, right? Um, I knew I couldn't do it on my own, Frank, at a very young age. And I was battling a lot of demons in my own head. I had extreme, um, I had extreme, you know, issues with confidence. I was not a confident, uh, was not a confident kid. Outside of my physical ability, out, outside, like outside the physical ability, there was no confidence there at all. Um, I was in special education classes growing up. Uh, people would make fun of me for being Asian. Um, I always, every single day, thought about my dad and what he did to my mom. There was like suicidal tendencies, a lot of stuff like that, even being a young kid. And because I had so many like weapons in my bedroom, I had knives, I had ninja stars, I had you know, axes. I had all this stuff. There, I remember distinct times where I would think back and I'd be like, man, I, I, I had that thing right, right in my gut. And I was just thinking about ending it for me, you know? And there was a voice in my head that said, no, do not do that. I have a plan for you. And mm. it wasn't probably, I mean, I was probably 10, maybe eight to 10 years old. The first time I was going through something really, really traumatic. Um, and I just jumped on my bicycle and I rode to the park to be all by myself alone so I could talk to somebody. There was nobody there, but I quickly realized that I could talk to somebody and I could get it out. Mm. And just so and end up having to be that person was God, uh, come to find out later on in life, the first time I'd ever gone to a church that people prayed and people hoped for better and people, you know, talked to this outside of themselves, higher power. Um, and so, yeah, I would continue to, after that, to go off and just pray all by myself. I would pray that I would be successful. I would pray that I would be a good man. I would pray that I would get a football scholarship. I would pray that my mom would be happy. I would pray that I would make her happy. Um, and a lot of things. And honestly, whenever I had these, these hard times, um, I would just jump on my bike and I would ride up to the park and be all by myself and just talk to God. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's been a part of me, but I never... I never really like identified myself as being a Christian just because at the time I didn't even know what that meant. Um, I know people went to church, but I knew that I had a relationship with somebody in my heart, Mm. 
that was very, very powerful. Um, and that kept me going amidst, you know, like I said, all the knee surgeries and everybody telling me I shouldn't keep playing football. Everybody in my family, like there was people in my family that made fun of me for wanting to go to college. You know what I mean? So there's, there's a lot to unpack there, but at the end of the day, I knew that I needed something, a higher power outside of myself to be able to battle through the things that I had to battle. We, we, we could end this right now and not get into anything dieting related or, 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 or any of the science stuff. And this may be one of the most powerful conversations or, or, or segments of an episode to date, 66 episodes in. So, um, that's something, I mean, well, I've, you know, I've, I've known you here for uh, four or five years now, probably, I mean, going back to 2016, 2017, and we've grown here much closer, really, really since in, in the last year with us, you know, being being in a group together and, and, and seeing each other, you know, almost, almost weekly basis. And there was parts there that, that I didn't know about you, man. So, so I appreciate you for, for opening up and, 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 and sharing that. Cause I know it's, it's those pieces that, that really impact and, and change people's lives. So let's get back here to, you know, kind of that, uh, that we're, we're out of school now. We, you know, we, we have this education, we're jumping into the personal training space. I know you got into timeline coaching, um, you know, before really social media was, was a massive thing. So what yeah. was the decision for you to, to, to exit? Cause I know you're working as a trainer in, in a gym. So, so exiting the, the gym space to, 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 to move online, like what was the motivating driver behind that? And, and where, once again, I think there's a level of self-awareness here too. I'm going to bring it back to that, uh, because there wasn't, you know, there wasn't an industry as it is today. I mean, you go on, you know, you go on Facebook right now, if you're following the right people, you're going to get 17 ads and, you know, just scrolling through your page about become a fitness expert, build an online business. You know, it's anybody and everybody's teaching how to grow an online yeah. business. But back in 2010, that wasn't the space. So what was that kind of process for you? And, 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 and how did that kind of, you know, begin with exiting yeah. and, and then moving to the online space? The self-awareness aspect is something that I think is probably the focal point in what I'm going to mm. talk about. I could probably hit it in a couple of different pieces that allowed me to know this is your path. This, you have to go. Um, when I graduated from college, began as a personal trainer, you know, it wasn't very long before I realized that, you know, obviously dieting myself, um, going through that process of winning an overall at a bodybuilding show, you know, building my confidence and being able to transform my physique to a level that, you know, people would try to point me out and say, he's on, he, he's on steroids. Like, there's no way you can look like that without it. Once I won that show, Frank, people started coming up to me in my gym and saying, dude, can you prep me for my show? And I was like, hmm, is this a thing? Like, is, is, <laughs> is being a bodybuilding coach a thing? Because I didn't even know it was a real thing. I didn't know online nutritionists existed, didn't know any of that. So these were my close friends. These were my training partners. These were people that, that I, I was with in the gym training with every day that were asking me to help them achieve their goal of turning professional or winning a show. And I just said, yeah, man, let's do it. You know, because at the time I was so on fire about what I had just done. I went there and competed in a class of over a dozen guys and I was the last guy standing. I'm like, wow, I'm a champion. Like I, if I, if I win another one of these shows, I could be a professional. You know, mm -hmm. like, like my whole life, I always wanted to be a professional athlete in something. Um, and so the first, the first was apply the work, use your brain. You won the whole show. Now I have confidence. There's something there, but I didn't know what it was yet. I started to help my friends. Within the first year of me helping friends, four of my friends turned professional. 
Okay. At the end of 2010, I turned professional amidst me helping my friends. Right. So then I was like, wow, I'm a professional natural bodybuilder now. I must know something that other people don't because they're not walking around looking like this, stepping on stage and winning. And they're surely not doing it the way that I was taught to do it, which was a lot less. And this could be a whole nother podcast episode, but it was a lot less extreme than a lot of the stuff that we hear about Mm -hmm. now, which is like the two hours of cardio, very low calories, zero carbohydrates, water elimination and all types of stuff like that. And so that was probably the second piece was that I realized as a trainer in Gold's Gym, St. Petersburg, right there on uh, 4th Street, that I knew things other trainers didn't. And I was like, I have something. I don't know. I have no idea what what this thing is yet, but I have Mm -hmm. something. And then that very last show that I competed in 2010, I had the opportunity to meet Lane Norton. Okay. Now, at the time, Lane had already been full time at this thing for like two or three years. And I asked him, I'm like, I'm like, so what do you do? Like, I went up to him and I thanked him first because I'm like, all the information he provided on the Internet, I learned from. Him and Doc, Doc, Dr. Joe. So Dr. Joe was his coach, and then he was putting out a lot of information about it. And I went up to him and I thanked him. And we started talking. We started to get to know each other. Um, and he invited me over to his house one day. And I went over there and I was like, dude, what do you do? <laughs> and he's like, dude, I'm a full-time coach. He's like, I've been doing this for, I think at the time, maybe it was three or four or four years or something. And I was like, you do this full time? Like how many clients do you have? And he told me, and I was like, wow, this is, this is real. Like this could actually happen. And so when I realized that I had this, this information in my brain that I could utilize to transform people's bodies, Mm. I realized that I had something different than the other trainers had. So then I started to offer these services for a, for a fee for all, for, to all my clients that were in the gym. Eventually, you know, Gold's Gym found out about what I was doing. And because I, you know, I had clients posting about it on Facebook because at the time Instagram didn't even exist mm-hmm. and had clients posting about it on Facebook. The gym found out and they gave me an ultimatum. They say, Will, you know, we really appreciate you as a trainer. You're one of the best trainers we, we have. But if you're going to be doing this thing, we need 50% of everything you're doing. And I was like, I was like, all right, well, can I have some time to think about this, process it? Because I love being a trainer and in equal parts, I'm starting to love being an online coach. Um, and back then it was, it's so funny, but I mean, I used to send plans through the Facebook messenger, through the inbox on Facebook, cause I didn't have an email or nothing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I just, I decided at that point I was working like three, three jobs at the time, you know, um, and I just decided to go all in on myself because I knew that other people didn't know what I knew and they didn't have this track record that I was building of helping people turn professional and get shredded. Um, so. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that day very, very clearly. I walked in and, uh, you know, they kind of the GMs and them, they stood up and they're like, Will, you're going to have to decide what you want to do. It's either you're going to it's either you're going to go and do your own thing or you're going to be 100 percent Gold's Gym. And that's it. And I called up Lane right after I left the office and he was like, tell him to kick, kick, kick rocks, man. You're going (laughs) online. And I said, "Okay." So from that point, I mean, the scariest moment was quitting everything that I was doing except for the coaching space and going full time online um, because I I went without a paycheck for like a solid month. Mm. And being that, you know, I had already had uh, my my wife at the time was my girlfriend. 
and she had a daughter, I felt like I was a lot less of a man for, for a while because I wasn't able to contribute any funds to help us out with the, with the bills and stuff. Um, but then, you know, I, I promised her that it, that, that, that it would work. Um, and fast forward a year after that and whatever I was making from working three jobs, I tripled that in a year. Um, and we, we never looked back, man. That's amazing. And I think anybody that, that knows or is familiar with Lane, you probably, you probably said what he told you to say in a much nicer way than, than Lane <laughs> said it. Um, <laughs> Let's let's um I, I want to kind of dive into to to the coaching side of things yeah. here. And then I think we can get to more some of the myths around nutrition and and and, and fat loss. Yeah. Um but let's let me have you kind of articulate, you know, the distinction between trainer and and coach. I know I know coaching is something that is that is truly probably, if not as big of a passion on from the nutrition education side of things. because uh, yeah. I see you talk a lot about it. I mean, you I know at one point, <clears throat> excuse me, you had a company in an educational system for online coaches. So just mm-hmm. speak to kind of, you know, maybe, maybe your, your take on the difference between trainer coach, because you said you left training to, to become a coach, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so, so speak to, you know, just yeah. what, what people you know, speak to the differences there. And then what should people look for when finding or seeking out a coach? Mm. That's a really amazing question. So uh, number one, my, the way, the way that I interpret it is with trainer and coach is that, most people think of trainer as being in the gym, personal trainer, the individual helping with exercise. Other people would also say that, you know, the coach is the nutritionist doing the diet plan and stuff like that. So that's the way that I'm kind of separating them within this conversation. But I can say that even when I was a personal trainer, I was a coach. Hmm. The reason why I say that is because when I would have people come in and pay me for like a three month package or X amount of sessions, I would tell them, I'm going to teach you how to lift weights so you can eventually one day come in here by yourself and execute these movement patterns. I can be way over there with another client and I can be watching you and I can be like, yes, I did my job, right? Because so many trainers, they want people to feel as though they need them forever, Mm. right? I didn't want people to feel like they needed me forever. I remember one time, Frank, going home and I told my mom, I said, Mom, I'm teaching my clients everything I know about how to lift weights. And she said, well, well, why the heck would you do that? You're going to work yourself out of a job. And I said, no, you don't understand. I said, I'm doing this, and they're referring me more people. Mm. Because nobody, any trainer they've ever hired, nobody ever taught them how to lift weights, how to execute movement patterns, how to feel what muscles they're trying to work. And, um, and she goes, well, you go ahead and you, you do what you do. But I think you're, you're going to work yourself out of the job. And I was like, all right, whatever. But the exact opposite happened is that they would, they would, they would tell me, Hey, I I went and I, I learned how to work out from William. And then the next thing I know, I got people walking into the gym asking for me because their friend, you know, whatever her name was or his name told them that I actually taught them how to work out. So now I can just write the program and they can come in all by themselves. You know what I mean? And there were so many times where I would have these women that would walk into the gym, slumped shoulders, head down, zero confidence. I would work with them for you know two months, three months. Next thing I know, they're walking into the gym, chest up, head up, because they're confident now. They have their program. They could come in. They could work out all by themselves, so on and so forth. And so I think that's the difference between like trainer coach is that a, as a trainer, 
a coach kind of operates more out of a state of abundance, in my opinion. So like, I'm going to, I want to openly give to you. I want to openly give to you so I can see you be successful. A trainer, in my opinion, is more so just come in, we'll get the session in, probably not going to learn too much, but I'll see you three times a week for eternity. You know, mm. so you're not actually teaching the person something. Now, on the other side of this, where I segued from being the in-person trainer to being the online nutrition coach, I carried a lot of what I learned from working with people face-to-face into the online market. And I would argue that people that have the experience of working with people in person are better when they transition Mm. to working with people online because you're more of an empathetic human, right? It's not just like you're just sending emails and stuff like that, but you actually want to get to know the person because as a personal trainer, I develop relationships with so many of my clients. But again, my goal was not to keep them forever. And so it was an education-focused model. So when I went online, what I realized was that if I can provide the same level of education to these clients that want to learn about metabolism and macronutrients and fat loss, the same thing would happen. And so I openly gave my, gave my brain, gave my information to my clients. And over the course of time, people just started to trust me and we started to make educated dieters. Yeah, it's so, so well articulated. And I mean, it's, it's something that, that I've, you know, held true to b- believe myself. You know, I don't do a whole lot of, of fitness stuff these, these days. Um, I saw the handful of clients that I, that I work with, but that was something, you know, even going all the way back to, to, to creating my first product online, you know, Mastetic Muscle. It's a 200 page ebook. Like I literally wanted to give everybody, you know, the 20 years of, of education and experience and knowledge that I learned. And I said, here's this book, you know, I originally sold it for, $47. Like here's, here's my lifetime of, of knowledge. And, and that's what I wanted is I wanted to be able to pass on what, what worked for me instead of keeping somebody chained to needing me as, as a coach. You know, when I hear somebody, yeah, I've had a personal trainer, you know, I see him three times a week and I've been seeing him for three years. And I'm like, why? Like what have they haven't taught you enough to like, to, to, to move on. So, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I love that whole kind of belief system and, and approach that you've taken, uh, with, with your work and, and, and with your business. Um, let's, let's slightly pivot here to, to the educated dieter. Um, mm-hmm. I know that this is, you launched this right at the beginning of 2020, correct? Yeah. So when I felt like the pandemic was, was occurring, I decided to pivot. Now you and I have really a uh, good mutual friend, Dan Long. Mm-hmm. Um, and during the pandemic, when I knew that the gyms had shut down stuff like that, I was like, Hey Dan, like I have a gym in my office. If you want to come here and train, cause I know obviously resistance training is very important to you. Da 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 da. Um, and he showed up, man, Dan, Dan showed up and, uh, he was a, he was a focal part in my pivot. He was actually mm. him and Joel were actually very focal parts in me even getting this office. Cause at the time I didn't even have the confidence in myself to go that big, you know, and their podcast born to impact actually helped me through a lot of that. And, you know, soon after that, I, I decided to get the office, but yeah, when Dan was coming in, he was talking to me a lot about pivoting. And what I noticed was that the market that I was coaching, so it was like physique enhancement. It was, you know, bodybuilding competition preparation, physique competition prep, bikini competition prep. The shows were shut down, Frank. Mm -hmm. So I say, I'm known for bodybuilding competition prep. There's no bodybuilding shows, right? So then I'm like, all right, well, what's the bigger picture here? And I started to think, what does the world really need? The world needs to be educated. The world needs to learn about nutrition and how it impacts their body. 
The world needs to know that. So what are we going to do? Well, at that time, I was already saying I create educated dieters. You could even look back to like Instagram like years ago. I would have as my tagline, I create educated dieters because back then it was only me. Now, now we have a team of coaches. Um, but at that time, I said the educated dieter would be a fantastic name. I'm going to switch from metabolic evolution and we're going to make the educated dieter and we're going to harness our business on the reality that we can make educated dieters. Now, the whole purpose behind making the educated dieter, teaching them about their own metabolism, teaching them about macronutrients, what proteins, carbs, and fats, and fiber actually do for the system, we're able to prevent them from going back and forth with the constant yo-yo diet. Mm. Because what they learn from us is that there is a such thing as metabolic adaptation, and the longer they continue to go down that hole, the worse off their hormonal profile and their metabolism actually becomes over time. Yeah, that's, that's, that's amazing. I mean, so many lessons, just, just, just life in general there about, about looking at an obstacle and finding, finding the opportunity in here. You know, so many yeah. people lost, you know, lost their employment. They lost their jobs. Their businesses got shut down. And, um, you know, I, 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 I did a very similar thing. I mean, I didn't, I didn't pivot, but I, I launched a, a new brand, a new business yeah. right at, you know, right at the beginning and, 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 and into the middle of a, of a pandemic. But, but I'm, I've got to assume that it was just, just, just leaning on your faith here. So, so let's dive into, to, to, to some of this dieting stuff here. Um, you know, let's, 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 let's maybe speak to the person out there, you know, men in general, you know, perhaps they're, they've struggled, you know, they've struggled with weight their entire life. You know, they'll, 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 they'll hire a coach or they'll follow a program, you know, super restrictive. They lose the weight and then they, they put it back on and then they lose it again and then put it back on. So here they are, you know, they're, they're kind of late in their, you know, maybe late thirties, early, early forties. And they're kind of like lost now. They're like, I can't even, you know, I, I'm, I can't even drop the calories low enough. So you know, where should, you know, where should somebody really start with, you know, obviously hire, hire Will or seek out his, his team, but if they're maybe looking to kind of do some of the initial research on their own in terms of becoming an educated dieter, where would be the best place for somebody to really kind of start there? Yeah, I think it really just boils down to learning the fundamentals of nutrition before you start to attempt the diet. If you simply understand what protein does for your physiology, what carbohydrates can do for your physiology, what fat does for your phys physiology and what fiber does, you'll probably make better choices in starting a diet plan. Um, I think the number one biggest problem with people that are attempting to lose body fat right now, men or women, is that the approach that they take is too extreme and they can't follow it for a prolonged period of time, right? There's so many things blasting us in the face on social media of, the 30-day challenges and the 60-day challenges and the 90-day challenges. But at the end of the day, if the challenge in and of itself isn't actually teaching you how to preserve the result for the rest of your life, then what is it actually teaching you? In my opinion, it's actually setting you up for failure. Now, granted, all of these different, I guess, methods, methodologies, you know, we have carnivore, we have the vegans, we have the ketos, we have, we have all, the, all these things. If you can't see yourself executing this diet for six months, 12 months, 18, two years, the rest of your life, then you strongly need to reconsider what you're doing and think about something that you can actually adhere to. So um, I guess the biggest concern that I see that comes through my inbox, we get inquiries every day, is that most people have tried something, whether it be working with a previous coach working with a previous trainer, whatever it is, 
And ultimately, they've gotten a result. And then the trainer kind of left them hanging at the end. And this is where the weight regain happens due to the metabolic adaptation and not planning for the end. So I guess I'll, I'll kind of just stop there because I, I think that's kind of encompasses what I think the biggest problem is, is dietary adherence and the fact mm. that the method does not align with the long-term goal. It aligns with the short-term immediate gratification of how fast can I get this off yep. versus, well, maybe there's a more sustainable way to get this off. It's not going to require me to suffer as bad, and I'm going to be able to keep more muscle. I'm going to be able to stay healthier. And if I plan for the end before I even start, there's a large likelihood that I'm going to be able to keep this fat off. Yeah, no, that's great. It, it, it comes back to that, that seeking that instant gratification. You know, we live in a world where we can really get anything we want, you know, with just a small click of a button, you know, food will show up at our house in five minutes, yeah. you know, yeah, uh, I was crazy. buying some stuff on, on, I was buying some stuff on Amazon this morning and it gave me the option. Like, do you want this by 10 PM tonight or tomorrow? <laughs> and I was like, tomorrow's fine. Like I'll be asleep yeah. at 10 o'clock tonight. Yeah. Um, so I get that. It's, it's, we, we got to build something that, 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 that can be longevity. And, sure. um, I mean, I, 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 I don't want to make this about how to, you know, how to work through that. Um, I know one thing that, you know, you is, is big with, with your approach. You know, I don't know if, if you would call it the, the IIFYM or if it's flexible dieting, I don't know if you really have a, have a name to it. Um, you know, I understand the equation, you know, calories in calories out, you know, it is, it does come to, to an energy balance. Um, mm. you know, I, I, I want your expert, you know, expert opinion here on though, like there's gotta be other factors though, right? Like, I mean, what role does maybe genetics play? What role does, does environment, what role does, you know, your previous history with food play in that? I mean, is we can't just look at the numbers if, if I'm correct. Like we got to take those other things in, in, into account. So it can kind of speak to, um, you know, is it just about the tracking of the macros or, or how do we need to look at this thing from an overall kind of, you know, maybe call it holistic perspective? Yeah. So to keep this direct and uh, avoid going into different pathways, I will use the example of a healthy individual. Okay. Okay. So what I mean by a healthy male or a healthy female is somebody that has no previous history of any type of hormone imbalances, um, history of birth control, history of low testosterone, anything like that. These we're talking the healthy people that exercise, that work out, that maybe ha try to live, you know, a healthy diet, stuff like that. <clears throat> With many of them the education of learning how to establish energy balance is one of the most important things that they could possibly do. Here's what I mean, is that if, let's just say hypothetically, um, right now, if we were to take, take you, and maybe based off of your energy expenditure, which is the thermic effect of activity, right, you working out intentionally, your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, how much you move and move at your desk. I'm using a stand-up desk, so I'm moving around. I'm burning calories doing this. Maybe how many steps you take per day, how much cardio you do. There's a calorie amount that will essentially allow you to preserve your body weight eating that amount of calories, right? You understand that. And if we can establish what the energy balance is for a specific type of person, then from that point in time, we can then either decide to elevate calories for more of a muscle building stimulus, or we can decide to lower calories for more of a fat loss stimulus. If we're lowering calories below what your energy balance is, this creates an energy gap. That energy gap is then responsible for fat oxidation. Okay. 
So if you're eating 3,000 calories a day as a man, and you decide to lower your calories down to 2,400, let's just say, you're creating an energy gap based off the fact that we know your energy balance and your, um, all of your exercise and stuff like that equates to about 3,000 calories as a maintenance phase. If we reduce those calories, we're making the gap, so you're going to start to lose body fat. However, this is where metabolic adaptation comes in, in the fact that you will begin to lose body fat, but if you don't plan ahead for metabolic adaptation, you can plateau, and now your 3,000 calorie energy balance has actually became 2,400. So then whatever fat loss you were experiencing is now plateaued. This is where you see guys saying, I lost 15 pounds, but then I plateaued. Or a girl saying, I lost 10 pounds tracking my macros and it was great, but then I plateaued. So, well, why did you plateau? If you would have came into this with the understanding that metabolic adaptation is going to occur, we would have planned ahead for the plateau. Got it. So, so it's like, it's, it's, it's like preserving, you know, s- some of our tools. I think so many people, they, they go into, you know, a fat loss cycle or, or attempting to lose. And it's like, you know, ramp it up to training twice a day. You know, I'm going to take a spin class in, in the morning and then go back and then I'm going to eat a thousand calories. And then yeah, once that, that adaptation occurs, it's like, you have nothing, you have no more lever, you know, to, yeah. to, to, to really yeah. pull. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, you're throwing it's the minimum, everything at the kitchen sink, right? It's like minimum every effective single dose, tool yeah. I got. Whoa. Now our approach very simply is I want you to be able to eat as much as you can and do as little as you need to <laughs> in order to see the result that you're striving for. Because yes. if we do that, think about it in terms of finance, okay? If we just go blow all of our money, we're broke. Yep. You know what I'm saying? But if we make a smart decision, we're not blowing all of our money, and we still have more money left over to play with. The more money we have left over to play with, the more things we can acquire. Now, it's no difference in terms of fat loss, okay? If I'm eating, let's just say arbitrary numbers, if I'm just, if I'm eating 3,000 calories and I immediately, I'm like, I I just saw this new diet, this guy got super shredded in a month, I'm going to cut my calories in half or more, I'm going to start doing an hour of cardio a day, I'm going to start taking all these supplements. The, 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 The thing is, is that you're spending everything you got in the beginning. So slower will oftentimes lead to a better result long-term because you're actually forcing less of an adaptation. Our bodies respond by how we treat them. So a caloric deficit or a reduction in calories and an overage in cardio, okay, is Mm. actually a stress on our system, male or female. Women, however, are hit way worse than men, okay? So the female physiology, what makes a woman a woman is progesterone, which is the calming and protective hormone, and estrogen. The thing that makes a man a man is testosterone, okay? These are very important sex and stress hormones that need to be taken into consideration when somebody is dieting, trying to lose body fat. And so, yeah, I guess just just wrapping that up, having some awareness around the fact that your diet does not have to be the most extreme in order to Mm. achieve a specific result should be the primary thing that you consult with your clients about before they go into a fat loss phase. Also, what I reflected back on previously was dietary adherence. If I just lower your calories and I say, do this, the likelihood that if you do something too restrictive, you're going to have cravings for other things is very, very high. If I don't give you something to look forward to, you're going to crave those things even more. Okay. 
Now, with what you were talking about in terms of if it fits your macros, I mean, I think that's just kind of like a catchphrase. You know, I, I've never really been somebody that was just like, eat whatever you want, you know, because I understand that food quality is very important. Mm. Um, and I've always been somebody that recommends my clients to have 80, 90% whole foods. And then maybe that other 10, 20% could be things that actually help you follow your diet plan. Right. Because what we're really talking about is trans transforming your lifestyle. Okay. If I have four kids, but you tell me, William, you can never have another snack with your kids. How long am I going to be able to follow that for? Right. If you tell me, William, you can't have anything outside of my food list. I'm immediately restricted to the, And I'm thinking about the things that are outside the food list. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to get the mindset of a lot of this stuff out of the way so that my clients understand that we can have what we, you know, we can kind of fit in what we want and it's not going to negatively impede progress as long as we account for it within our macro bank account or our macro allotment. Um, So I'll provide you an example. I have, I work with like 75% women and I work with a lot of men too, but you know, probably 75% women. And something that happens all the time is a woman will hire us. She'll see her program and she's like, you're not restricting anything that I, that I can eat. And I say, for, well, for right now, I don't necessarily need to because there's no immediate biofeedback signals or, or you're not symptomatic of anything that would flag us from not having the ability to you know, have some things that you enjoy. Okay. And she would say, yeah, but I, my entire life, I've never done a diet where I could eat like chocolate, right? And I would say, okay, well, what kind of chocolate do you like? And she's like, oh, I just like dark chocolate with salt on it, right? Just, just as an example. Mm-hmm. And I say, all right, well, can you eat a chunk of dark chocolate every day for the next week? She'll be like, what? What are you talking about? I say, just, just account for it, okay? It's fat, okay? It is a fat source and it has some carbs in it, but just account for it. And she'll account for it for a week. And you know a magical thing that happens. After usually one to two weeks, when I get the email, she'll say, I don't want to eat the dark chocolate anymore. Right? Or, you know, it could be it could be anything. It could be ice cream. It could be whatever. If they don't have an immediate red flags, something that's going to make me do more of a holistic style diet, maybe a Mediterranean style diet or something that's 100% wholesome, clean, single ingredient food, I want to have them be flexible. Mm. And so that for me, a lot of them is it's conquering like food fear. So a lot of these people, men and women, they're scared to eat specific types of food. And this was something that I learned a lot about when I was prepping for bodybuilding shows was that I could have specific types of food that I really wanted. And as long as I accounted for it, my metabolism which is every single physiological process within the body, my metabolism would metabolize it regardless of what it was, as long as I accounted for the calories. So I'll just provide you an example. I, I made homemade uh, bacon cheeseburgers okay, every week that I was in competition prep. Just one, just one, because I just wanted to taste the burger. I needed red meat. I loved it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, if I can, dude, if I could just eat this with sweet potato fries once a week, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Right. And so I learned so much about dietary adherence just from the fact, just from doing it. Dude, where were you in my life back in 2019 or 2009, 2010? I was eating so much orange roughy. 
I was eating yeah. so much orange roughy that I had yeah. to wear diapers. That's I literally so had to wear a diaper because wow. it was just there was there's so much oil coming out of my yeah. out of my backside. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know what's funny about that? I remember the video. I remember the video on YouTube where they documented Jay Cutler getting ready for the Olympia and he was eating pounds of orange roughy. And the funny thing was, is like that influence led into bodybuilding. And next thing I know, everybody's eating orange. Oh my God. And I I, I never had it. I never had it. It was like one of the most expensive, you know, pieces of, of, of white fish. So it about cleared out my bank account. Um, over the course of 16 <laughs> yeah. weeks, but yeah, yeah, it was so, so uncomfortable. I mean, I was working, I was working in a corporate office and training at a gym and I'd get up from my seat and there'd be like, wow. a, never mind. That's way too much, wow. much personal stuff. Uh, I, I love what you said there though, with like, like the restriction thing. It's like, I mean, we can go all the way back to, you know, kind of the beginning of, of, of human history here. It's like when you're told not to have something, like what's the first thing you want to do? You're going to go, you're going to go, you're going to go get it. Yeah. Um, so you're just teaching people, yeah. um, self-adherence and, 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 yeah. and self-control. Yeah. Um, William brother, I got to, uh, I mean, there were some other things I wanted to get here, but I mean, I, I, I think we, I, I think we kind of hit it on the head here. I, I, I appreciate you so much. I want to, I'm going to give you an opportunity here to, to plug your work to, you know, to, well, first of all, what's, you know, what's, what's on deck here for, for William and the educated dieter with, with 2021. I mean, a year into this, this new business, any big things coming that we should be on the lookout for. And then where, yeah. where can people find you? Um, if they want to get deeper into some of the education side of things, I think we kind of just, you know, kind of glossed over, over the top here. Man. Yeah. The last year has been a heck of a ride. You know, uh, we're starting a new company, bringing on one of my best friends to help as an assistant coach and realizing that I can't do it all on my own. If we want to create real big impact in the world, you know? Uh, and so now we have two assistant coaches and we have a, curriculum that's called advanced coaching systems where myself and my assistant coach Gillis actually teach other nutrition coaches from all around the world uh, essentially how to be a better coach Uh, we also offer one-on-one nutrition coaching for clientele world worldwide within uh, the educated dieter which is our coaching company Um, and i will say we don't sell programs we sell coaching we sell ourselves Mm. to help you achieve your goal so Every single client that works with us gets a one-on-one coach that they're, you know, that they can they can check in with, uh, you know, twenty-four-seven. They have an update every week. We talk to them every month uh, via Zoom, things like that. Uh, and then we also have uh, some free products that are going to be coming out that'll be available on the website. Uh, and then I'm also creating a new product that's going to help fitness coaches learn how to better serve uh, the female demographic of clients. Because I get so many inquiries from, from people that say, I worked with a coach. This is what happened. So I want to be the vessel that allows coaches to learn more about you can't diet a woman the same way you diet a man. Love that. Love that. So we got the educated dieter, uh, yep. dot com. Is, yep. there a, is there a site? Is there a place where they could they learn more about the ACS, the advanced coaching systems? So we're, we're working on a landing page right now for advanced okay. coaching systems. Right now, it's just kind of word of mouth. And you guys can follow me on Instagram. It's William underscore Grazion, whether that be through the Instagram stories or Instagram posting. We do talk about that. Um, we launch it you know, three, four times a year, um, okay. onboard our clients, and then teach them over the course of about six weeks or so. Uh, we're always open to accepting new clients. Um, and yeah, I mean, obviously every single client we have the opportunity to work with is a blessing. So really appreciate you having me on, Frank. Really appreciate, you know, the impact that you're having in the world, helping men, you know, leading as a, as a Christian man. 
um, and being the light in so many men's lives. I mean, obviously, I see the work that you're doing and I respect the heck out of it, brother. So I just want to take a moment publicly express um, how amazing what you're doing is. No, no, thank, thank, thank you, brother. It's uh, like I said at the beginning, this was something that was long overdue. We had, you know, we had talked about it kind of, kind of in passing multiple times. And um, I think we over delivered on, on what I was expecting to get out of here. So we always have one question that we wrap up here. Um, yeah. You know, there, there's, there's, there's a name of, of the show and it's, you know, it is the Superman life and, you know, you know, you know, my story. I mean, um, you know, we, I've, I've shared it, shared it with you. When I talk about living a Superman life, it's, it's not so much like there's this tangible thing that, that we're pursuing. For me, it's about a belief system. It's about a belief that we all were created for a very specific purpose. And when we can harness uh, that belief inside of us and, and use that purpose for the better good of others, um, while still, you know, taking care of our vessel, you know, truly building our, our greatest physique, we were only given this, this one body. That's what I, you know, that's, that's where I go when I talk about what it means to leave, to live a superhuman life. So I always like to get the guest take on this. Uh, you know, so William Grazione, how would you define living a superhuman life? Man, <laughs> spur of the moment question. That's a big one. Uh, man, I think, I think living a superhuman life has to not only involve yourself, but it has to involve a higher power that allows you to become superhuman. You know, uh, thinking about it, I think we're all blessed and highly favored with the opportunity to show up in the world and be whoever we choose to be and create the impact that we choose to be able to impact in the world. We can create that. And I think that, you know, individuals that do have this higher power as a part of their life that lives in their heart and soul, they can show up greater in every facade or in every avenue that they decide to take, whether that be as a husband, whether that be as a business owner, whether that be as a father, uh, whatever it is, you have the opportunity to show up not only with just yourself and your own being, but you have the opportunity to show up with a higher power, and that higher power is superhuman. Amen. Amen. It's about using our adversity, overcoming our obstacles, and seeking the opportunity, uh, which was a highlight here of, of everything in your story and in your life, man. So incredibly grateful and, and, and appreciative for you and the work that you're doing with, you know, not just helping people, but impacting and, and educating those so, you know, that they can continue to, to pass it on. Uh, brother, it's been an incredible conversation today. I look forward to seeing you. Um, if not Thursday, I'll see you uh, Saturday morning, hopefully. But you guys out there, you, you, you heard it here, man. Um, this was, was a jam-packed conversation. So we got all, all Will's stuff plugged down there in the show notes below. So make sure to give him a follow. Reach out to him and his team over at The Educated Dieter. Uh, but Frank Rich here, guys, we'll see you next week and we love you. 